Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 124. I'm thrilled to invite a super dear friend and colleague, Brenda Janchek, onto the show today. Uh, and I, I, I wanted to do this because... We often, uh, when we interview people for our Thrive e-course, which we run together, uh, it's the only course I collaborate on. And if, by the way, after today's show, you think, oh, I might like to check that out. We have a few food issues in our family, or I'm not too sure how to draw the line on um, making sure my kids eat healthy food, etc. please feel free to go check it out on thrivinghappykids.com. Uh, and I've got all the details in the show notes uh, for you guys. But um, yeah, so each of us has interviewed our experts for that. Um, and we have 14 experts in the, th- oh no, 15 actually in the Thrive e-course. And we interviewed them separately. So I wanted for us to have a chat together and really drive a conversation about what both of us have done to instill really healthy food values, um, when we may have overstepped the mark, not done enough, how we brought it back to the middle, you know, how we keep a really relaxed vibe around food in social situations, uh, and, um, and kind of where, where we've arrived after spending thousands of hours educating parents and, and operating the Thrive course together, which over two and a half thousand parents have been through. And also to our own personal experiences as our kids have gotten older, what we've noticed needed to change, what we needed to tweak and adapt. So uh, I'm really excited about how the conversation played out. And please, if you have any questions, you want to sort of get further clarification on anything we talk about, head to the show notes at comment section or to the Lotox Club if you're a member there through uh, Patreon uh, and ask away and let's let's keep this discussion alive for the parents out there because it's it's such an important topic and you know it might not even just be parents you could be a teacher you could be a coach you could be um, part of the local sports club a lot of us interact with kids and a lot of what we say impacts how our kids develop an attitude around food and what they will naturally tend to gravitate towards to know that they need to thrive. So um, I hope you enjoy today's chat. We we talk about some really great topics, very dear to my heart, including um, fussiness, kids in the kitchen cooking, and the importance of family mealtime. And, uh, and I know you're going to get stacks out of it uh, if you are helping raise a child out there in the world today. Don't forget, you now have one more week to make the, the blah, blah, to make the best. Oh no, that's not the expression, is it? To make the most of the natural bedding company offer of ten percent off latex mattresses, overlays, and pillows. It does exclude cots and bassinets. It is only for Australians. Your code is Lotox Beds, and the links and everything are, are repeated in the show notes to make it nice and easy for you. Which, by the way, the show notes you find on the lotoxlife.com website, then you hit the podcast tab and then you see all the tiles to all the shows. They're your show notes. You have all the information, resources, links to research, anything we mention that we say, head to the show notes, it's there. lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast will get you there every time. A lot of people are like, isn't there an offer this month? Where do I find it? That's how you find the show notes. So make the most of that. Uh, If you were planning on upgrading your bed this year, why not do it now? Enjoy that one, Aussies, and enjoy the show today with Brenda. Hey, Brenda, how are you? 
Hi, Alex. I am great. It's like the first day of school holidays, which means for me, sleep-ins and no more lunch boxes. <laughs> And it's so funny, isn't it? I think the people who follow people online who share things about their lunchboxes, write recipes for lunchboxes, must just think we absolutely adore waking up, bouncing out of bed and cooking and baking and preparing lunchboxes. But it's just as much of a have-to, really, for any parent, whether you like cooking or not. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it is a have-to. I do love that I know that my kids are going to get something special at midday and they love knowing that they're going to get something special. But, you know, you just get over the Groundhog Day and the have-tos and it's just so nice to break the routine. But it's so funny, by the end of it, we're all desperate for the routine to return as well. It's so true, isn't it? I find exactly the same. I love the, the transitions into the new. I think humans tend to really, don't we? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, well, it's, I'm happy to ride the wave for a few weeks and enjoy that feeling. But, honestly, the sleep-ins and, and not just not doing lunch boxes, like the kids have to cook. Like it's school holidays, kids, you're around. I ain't going to be making you breakfast, lunch and dinner. You're going to be helping out. So mm. I love to sort of break from that. And then they get to sort of um, improve their life skills in the kitchen. I love that. And we're going to go into that today because your two are a bit older now. Um, you're in, in teen territory, not even in tween territory anymore. And, um, and I think there's some really interesting things that you can retrospectively share that led you to being able to let your kids loose now in the kitchen and know that dinner's going to come out the other side and it'll be delicious for the whole family. I think that's what a lot of parents hope for, but I think you're going to be able to help us unpack how that looks in the earlier years to get them to that stage. But let's just start by hearing you um, share, even though it's quite odd because we're such good friends, <laughs> share your journey about um, how you became a, a health coach. And, uh, and I really see you just to be such an incredible ally, not just for parents of kids, but for the parents themselves um, in looking after their self-care and, and their health um, on the journey to parenthood and, and beyond because that's something we so often overlook. Everything just becomes about the kids. So share with us why that became so important for you on a personal level and why you decided to turn it into work. Well, so you know my story all too well and it was basically my experience with infertility that uh, led me to this work that I do today. When I was in the darkest period of my life to date, not being able to have a child, anyone listening to this will, will know how confusing, how frightening, how incredibly sad it is to be dwelling in that space for so long. I know it was four years. I know a lot of women and men, um, partners, husbands and wives experience it for a lot longer. But it really did feel like, you know, 20 years, that four years for my husband and I. When after the first, after the first year, it was like when you were actually told then, you know, maybe there is an issue there. Before that, it's considered normal. So after the year, we sought advice from the, the mainstream roots, Western medicine, Kind of got nowhere, Alex, apart from by the end of it, you're staring at the barrel of IVF. That seemed to be the best option that was offered to us. I just had to question, though, there 
there had to be more. There had to be more that, that we could do. I just didn't feel that that was the end of the road for us. So I started to explore, started a research, and that's when this whole world of holistic, alternative, integrative medicine became something that, I mean, I was never aware of it. I didn't even know really much about naturopaths or, or being able to sort of approach it in that respect. But I was desperate, right? And, and I was willing and ready to try anything. So I found this holistic fertility centre. I went under the care of, you know, a guardian angel, that's what I call her now, and, um, and learned so much about food as medicine and how much it can help every system of the body, how reducing stress was paramount if we wanted to conceive. Also, the specialists that they had on hand, we'd, we'd been to all the specialists, but they were more integrative. So they discovered issues that hadn't been unearthed that my husband and I were experiencing, things like, for me, endometriosis, suspecting that I had it based on the symptoms that I expressed and explained. So basically from the point we went under their care, it took another two years of completely overhauling the diet, of going on vitamin, specific vitamins, of removing toxic substances from our diet at the same time, including alcohol, coffee, those sorts of things, and really reducing our stress and also having a couple of procedures here or there for issues, including my endometriosis, which they discovered. And it was, honestly, I always love, and it's still, you know, my heart still feels so full when I say this. So uh, finally, after the four years, we were able to conceive um, our miracle boy. And that is like, oh, my God, the floodgates were well and truly open for my passion for all things, you know, alternative and wellness and food and food is medicine. So from that point, I there were many, many issues that I continue to experience, like but, uh, pregnancy wasn't easy, the birth wasn't easy to say the least. I suffered postnatal depression, anxiety, uh, insomnia. I mean, I was hit with everything left, right and centre. So <laughs> uh, what a student of the world, you know, to learn and to overcome and deal with all of those things. And, you know, the, my child was not an easy child. So, you know, what um, doesn't break you makes you stronger and also has meant that I'm able to share my journey and help so many women not necessarily going through exactly the same things, but similar things. The tools that I've learnt really help to to manage all different sorts of um, issues and uh, challenges that women and families experience. Mm. So, so that's pretty much what led me to this path that I'm on. But it hasn't been easy, Alex, because I'll never forget probably in the first oh, – one or two years of business, and I'm sure you can relate to this. Uh, you know, I had a group of friends who were also solopreneurs, although they were in, in the fashion industry, more in the fashion space, and we were all kind of experiencing a lot of difficulty with our businesses. Uh, it, it was really felt like this relentless slog uh, entrepreneurship. I had had businesses in the past and nothing felt like this was really – pushing it uphill that's what it felt like um and we were kind of together sort of searching for answers 
between ourselves about why running our own businesses, even though we were doing what we really wanted, what we believed in, what we were really passionate about, left us feeling so stressed out, so exhausted, so imbalanced and not really leaving much time for for the things that were really important to us like self-care and family, all the things that I was, you know, preaching basically through my business. Uh, And, you know, downtime, there was none of that. So, like, why on earth did I keep holding on? Were they keeping on holding on? I don't know. Was the first, was it rocky for you at the start, Alex, as well? Um, You know, because I have always had, since I stopped being employed, um, and I always joke about, you know, I would make the worst employee because I always want to break out of any box that anyone tries to put me in or any any staid or status quo thinking. I'm like, no, but we could do it this way and it could be better and let's improve and make progress. Um, but, yeah, so when I started working for myself, I really enjoyed that those shackles were taken off me and coming from hospitality and moving into consulting in that space, um, I felt it was actually quite um, – quite easy because I, I guess I was well known so it was easy to get work in that industry and um, and to support businesses but then when I started the um, the low tox life because of you know very similar to you and the guys listening know my story in terms of how um, I, I came to be doing the work I do today um, but uh, so I was very called to it and what I fi- found was challenging was in this very intense role of being of service one can actually hurt oneself and kind of like a parent does to their kids so I remember so clearly like once my community got to a certain size about 2013 it's like you know 10,000 people on the page and everyone was so thirsty for knowledge because Remember, there just wasn't much about environmental toxins six, seven years ago on the internet. And um, and so I was really one of the first people helping people through these changes. And uh, I would be up until one in the morning replying to Betty about what kettle she should get, Susan about the sheets, you know, on and on and on. And I would like be losing sleep and getting tired and feeling extremely rewarded by the work I was doing, helping people so clearly and obviously changing people's lives. Um, and being thanked for it, but at the same time not quite having picked uh, pieced together how I could do that and not um, put my own needs to be a healthy, thriving human um, on the sidelines in that process. So, yeah, definitely that resonates, yeah. That is absolutely the biggest challenge that I'm talking about because it was the same thing. It was like I know you and I really believe in service. Like it's number one for us. So Mm. we are the type to yeah. be replying to everyone we want to that's why we do what we do um and certainly my own life was suffering but but as I discussed this with you know my girlfriends at the time and you just named it it what we really discovered was we felt compelled to do what we do it was answering our individual calling and that's exactly what you said mm. so for me the work that I do around helping mums to be the best mums they can be and all the work that I do around women's health and well-being and children's health, it actually feels like a, a divine purpose and that's what empowers me and that's what spurs me on. And I just think at the start, 
the pendulum just swung too much with too much force in one direction and too much intensity and you know too it was just you know confusing and exhausting but once i figured out that it was really important to honor my calling in the context of my core values mm. that helped me to feel like the pendulum was slowly swinging back towards that equilibrium which is where i am you know sitting right now and absolutely loving the business that I've created and the way that I help women now through my online, more my online courses and my eBooks. I love helping hundreds, thousands of people at one time. Yeah. I find that really, really rewarding and I get lots of beautiful messages every day and that's what really helps me to keep going as well. And there's a beautiful quote I'll never forget and I know you're going to love this. It was by, I don't remember his name, a theologian. I can't remember because I often think about the work that I do, but he said something like true vocation joins self and service and he defines um, vocation as the place where our deep gladness meets the world's deep need. Isn't that just beautiful? Oh, I love that, yes. Isn't that what we do? That's what yeah. I like we do. It's yeah. That's where I have managed to land, thank God, because there were so many moments where I was just going to give it all up. Um, and just, you know, just I had created things like um, I was doing the Healthy Kids Cooking classes, which, oh, my God, I absolutely love, but really, really hard work, really, really intense, uh, having to cart a lot of food and things around all over the place, having to deal with large groups of kids um, often through the week with all sorts of different personalities and loved it and achieved so much because, as you know, uh, Alex, Kids in the Kitchen is one of the, the best ways to resolve issues with fussy eating and um, hesitance around new foods. And parents were just like they felt that they had a miracle child after those classes. They couldn't believe the things they were seeing their kids eat in those classes. So incredibly rewarding but probably not the right vehicle for me to get my message um, across because I hit the wall with my health mm. from running these classes constantly. So just sort of figuring out exactly what worked for me based on my core values, which number one is to be available and uh, present for my children, for my family. And, uh, yeah, it took a little while, but I'm so glad I stuck with it because I love what I do deeply. Yeah, me too, Bren. And you you really helped me uh, clarify something there for why I stopped doing the kids' classes that I was doing because we both did a lot of that in the early days. Yeah. Um, and it is, it does wipe you. I, I'm not built for teaching in the way that these incredible teachers, if you're a teacher listening out there, a primary school teacher, I worship the ground you walk on to be able to do what you do and 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 keep going because I find it, you know, eight kids around a cooking table and I'm wiped for like two days. <laughs> but, and my hats are off to those teachers too and I say it so often, incredible what teachers do. Yeah, and no, it is. I'm a teacher but not in that way. Exactly. So what you helped me just clarify was <laughs> especially around kids cooking, we should not be teaching kids to cook around a table necessarily as the main way they learn how to cook. This is about empowering parents to teach their kids and everybody should be doing this with one to four children. 
in a kitchen, yeah. um, five, six kids, if you're a, a brave, uh, brave parent out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, and it should happen in the home, ideally, if, if we can, because that's when um, we develop the connection and all the incredible things that come with simply teaching our children how to cook. So let's actually move into talking about kids and, and food for a little while. Um, because we both obviously have a lot to talk about on that subject. Um, uh, And I thought, you know, it'd be really interesting to talk about some of the things that we think we can do with the zero to five age group of kids and then the five to kind of mid-tweens and then teenagers and how that looks with each different group in terms of what we empower them with. And I'll kick us off here by... Uh, sharing something that you and I both learnt in the thousands of people who've joined us for the Thrive course over the years. Um, and don't panic, guys, this isn't a sales pitch for Thrive in any way, shape or form. This is, this is just really interesting feedback. Was the number one reason parents of the under fives age group had not more regularly brought their children into the kitchen was the fear of the mess. Oh, <laughs> let's unpack that one. And this is not a judgment if you're out there thinking, oh, my gosh, that's me. I'm a bad parent. No, but we actually, you know, change comes from awareness. Awareness is always the first step. And we are so hell-bent on everything being perfect and tidy that um, we miss the magic that comes from a bit of mess in the kitchen connecting with our kids. Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on how that played out for you um, with two kids under five and getting them in the kitchen. Look, and here is someone who has had to have lots of therapy for anxiety. Yes, if you exactly, want right? Yeah. Deal with mess. Uh, but, me- um, you know, pre- I could say that I've embraced the mess because I've had no choice. As so many parents listening in will know, life is overwhelming. It is. So, I can't do it all. So some things I've had to just let go of. And one of the things is I'm having a messy house. Believe it or not, I mean, I've showed it a little bit on through social and stuff that it's just messy. My house is messy. My kitchen is messy. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And I believe when it comes to kids in the kitchen, and we know this very well, that mess is super-duper important when we're talking, com- most a lot of the women who join our Thrive course, Alex, they're having fussy eating issues. Mm. So mess and embracing the mess and kids getting messy and touching and feeling and making that god-awful mess is such a big part of kids on their steps to overcoming uh, over, uh, fussy eating. Yeah, and embracing a variety of foods because it's kind of all over the place and it's not always the same and it's imperfect and, you know, that's kind of and it's like fun. it's part of the baseline for actually establishing some steps towards them being less fussy. Well, exactly. And then it's the, that's desensitisation as well. You know, they're touching it. That's, they're all steps towards embracing beautiful real foods and getting over fussy eating. So, so, but totally understanding that for a lot of parents, there's going to be a time and a place for that hmm. because you're not always equipped emotionally to be able to handle this. Let's face it. Yeah, let's face it. So, like, so basically what you're saying there is 6, 10 p.m. when you haven't actually even thought about dinner yet is not the night that you want to bring your three and one and a half year old into the kitchen with you. 
absolutely <laughs> not. That's going to backfire, mm. guarantee. So it's choosing those times where you are feeling more relaxed, perhaps on the weekend, even if you're waiting till the school holidays. Certainly still book your kids in for our kids' cooking classes. Well, you'll have more impact doing it at home and we want to encourage you to do that, like um, following you know, get grab the recipes they cooked in the cook, cooking class. Do those with your kids together. You can still do all of it, but just just when it comes to cooking with your kids in the kitchen, make sure that you're taking lots of deep breaths beforehand. Uh, put things in perspective because it is going to get messy. And have fun. Let go and have fun. Throw some music on. This is also about connection. This is also about memories. It's also about creating positive positivity around food and cooking uh, which is equally as important as you know the mess itself so yeah I totally agree and you said throw some music on there and by that I I just want to stipulate that I don't mean the wiggles I mean like music you like so that you're actually feeling oh cool I love listening to you know this old Beatles album whatever it is you're into Ariana Grande it doesn't matter Um, but as long as it's music you dig so that you're feeling relaxed you know, and if, if something you like to do, wind down with a couple of nights a week is uh, a glass of red, then get that in the mix as well. So you don't feel like it's this, oh my gosh, you know, selfless, horrific, messy um, thing. You know, we need to, it's almost like we need to be the architect of a situation that makes it okay for us if we know we've got the propensity to get stressed out by the mess. Well, and also it's beautiful to bring your kids into your world as well, your world of music, your world of cooking. It's not just about, as we always say, you know, making the the muffins or the cookies. Make whatever you want. Make what you need to make for dinner with yeah. your Get them used to cooking all different sorts of things. But just remember their motor skills, what stage they're at, what age they're at. They can't do necessarily you know, cutting with a sharp knife until they've actually learnt those skills over five. They can do some setting of the table even. They can do stirring in a bowl. They can um, help with choosing, getting things out of the fridge. Like just remember what age they're at. Mm. And certainly my kids now, they can cook for themselves, like you say, like 12 and 14. Look, they're not like gourmet chefs by any stretch of the imagination, but neither am I. Yeah. <laughs> Fact, yeah. even though I'm a recipe blogger and a food blogger, what I blog is just everyday family food, easy everyday family food. So I think it's really funny when people ask me over for dinner and they sort of feel panicked and threatened. That Same they're... with me. What's up with that? We never get invited anywhere other than restaurants. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, like just pop a chicken in the oven. I'm really not stressed. Yeah, oh, Sausages on the barbie with a salad. I'm good. That's it. That's mm. it. So it is just this this everyday family friendly food. So my kids can they can feed themselves. And you know, if I died tomorrow, I would die. You know, knowing that in my heart that they had this beautiful life skill, they'd be able to look after themselves. They'll know more importantly than anything how to nourish themselves because they know all about real food. They know all about whole foods, and. Um, while they don't stick to that 100%, nor would I ever expect them to, I know that they know what they need to feel good and what's going to help them be strong and concentrate and have lots of energy. So, yeah, I can put my hand on my heart and say, 
I've done my job here. Mm, yeah. And I love that you mentioned um, it's not just about the cookies and the cakes because that's often like we have these grandma memories of like licking the bowl with grandma, making the chocolate cake. I have that memory. It's one of my favourite memories, um, you know, and uh, and I wish she was here so I could tell her that. But um, it really is about those everyday meals, everyday jobs um, and, you know, like flowering and, and egging a uh, crumbing something or, you know, really, really simple things um, so that they get uh, actual experience in the kitchen and they don't turn 18, move out of home and know how to make a cupcake and that's it. Yeah, so true, so true. But we kind of, because our generation was the feminist generation that, you know, all the schools took home economics out because that was beneath the girl, the modern girl and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, never mind that it should be in every boys and girls and co-ed school out there, actual life skills like learning how to cook in the kitchen. Um, but, um, you know, we were then sort of, we had parenthood thrust upon us and we didn't have the fundamental skills ourselves half the time and we don't to pass them on. So that's, we can't forget that that's one of the things um, that's missing here. So it'd be really uh, interesting if anyone wanted to share in the show notes today in the comment section um, what you've done to actually teach yourself how to cook. I know I had to learn how to cook myself, um, even though I knew a few basics. And, uh, and you know, maybe the idea of actually just taking ourselves off for some really lovely cooking classes to re-inspire ourselves to then teach our kids. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because look at us. We, you know, we're the epitome of modern women, right? Mm. And still, I feel like a little bit of resistance. Uh, I have had a couple of comments many, many years ago from some friends, modern women who love cooking, but they felt that through the work, the type of work that we do, that we're insisting that women get, become sort of chained to the kitchen again. Yeah, no, that's definitely. <laughs> Not, I'm not chained to the kitchen, no. No, look, I think that it's important to to realise that, but, you know, the diet our kids are eating, like, I think that because we're modern women and we, we know what's going on with the food industry, we know what's going on with marketing, we know what's going on with advertising, um, I think what we see also, the reason we're in the kitchen, Alex, this is what I'm I'm trying to say, is because of these statistics that we know all too well, yeah. that the first time in two centuries the current generation of children in America have a shorter life expectancy than their parents. I mean, that blows my mind, that yeah. statistics around obesity and chronic disease that are, are becoming more common in childhood. They're getting younger and younger and starting to experience these things. Autoimmunity, we see it everywhere in our work. We have clients, we have people who join our courses that are talking about mood issues and ADD and immune system issues. I mean, the list goes on, gut issues, food intolerances. So we know that and we firmly believe that we need to guide and educate our children about the challenges that they face regarding the food industry, like I said, the marketers, the advertising, the labelling, the things that we know. And it's our responsibility. This is why we're in the kitchen. This is why we do what we do because it's our responsibility to establish this rock-solid foundation of health from our homes if we want to set our kids up for this beautiful, positive, thriving health and longevity through life. And I don't know a parent who doesn't want that for their children. Yeah. And for them to be able to pass that on to their children because 
cooking is becoming a lost art. And I think feminism, as amazing as it was, it did backfire in a couple of ways, including um, women feeling guilty about everything. Because yeah, that's a massive backfire. Plus, not actually yet even achieving equality in so many ways. So, which is a whole nother discussion. But I totally agree with you in the backfire, in the sense of uh, the lost art of cooking. Michael Pollan talks about this so beautifully, where he uh, articulates that that was the time that men and women as parents should be in the home, should have been in the homes discussing how they were going to divvy up in this new way of women being out in the workforce, how they were going to divvy up the home chores, the cooking, what help they were going to need. Um, And instead the food companies saw it as a huge opportunity to just come swooping in and say, don't worry, we'll take it all off your hands. And the birth of the TV dinner comes in and all those sorts of horrific things and the snack aisles in the supermarkets, which weren't even there before the eighties, all those junky aisles. So, um, yeah, it's really, I think one of the biggest steps uh, we can take here is to become aware of how short this timeline of lack of education and shocking children's health has existed so that we can see and make that very obvious co- correlation between lack of food education and a, a shift towards product-based eating as opposed to produce-based eating. Uh, has dramatically impacted the health of our our kids. Then you add uh, farming practices that have changed as drastically as they have over the last 40, 50 years, and then you add GMOs over the last 20 years, and you just you can, as Zach Bush so beautifully pointed out last month on the show, uh, two months ago on the show actually, um, you know that there's there are some very obvious reasons as to how we got here, but the beauty of it all is how short a time span that has been and how easy it is for us to start in our homes and shopping baskets changing it. And that's what I feel I've been running, 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 running sort of to almost to get to the finish line and helping people run run along with me to because it has been such a short time and it feels like it's pretty easy to reverse. Mm. It's simply through food. It is that powerful. So that's been a lot of uh, the work that I do. But at the same time, it's kind of come – I've been doing it for six years now. I've got kids that are that are older and I have actually seen what's happened to me and to others as well. We've got to be careful because we don't want to then over-focus on mm. either. And because what happened in my life and with a lot of my clients, and this is what I talk a lot about now, Alex, as you know, is the over-focus on food can be very detrimental as well to – our kids' future and their associations with food because of the overfocus can certainly lead to things like food pressure yeah. and then restrict food with our kids because we know too much and the people who follow us are also incredibly passionate and they learn a lot of this stuff through us so they know too much. So we sort of become quite restrictive when it comes to food. I know I have. And then this can lead to the food guilt and the food fear can, which can then have the opposite effect. Of, of what you're trying to achieve, yeah. It's such a fine line, Alex, and I haven't got all the perfect answers to how to balance this. It has worked out well for me and my family. It has worked out well for, for my clients, but it is really quite individual as well. You've got to kind of work 
very carefully and balance this out very, very carefully. What you want to make sure is because the research really does show that if we're Parents are too controlling around feeding practices. This really does lead to kids overeating or undereating and then sort of disordered eating. Mm. So we want, while we want our kids to be eating healthy food, we really want to remember to create an atmosphere where eating is a beautiful, positive, comfortable, flexible, joyful experience, yeah. not stressful, not ridden with guilt. Mm. And this is a challenge. Like I've said, it really is a challenge. But when you get it right, what ends up happening is you end the food battles at home and food becomes a joy. And that is truly where the magic happens. And that's where we want everyone to be. Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? And I think we should maybe just share a couple of tips here so that people have a really concrete couple of things they can go on if they're feeling their kids are stressed out about you know, evil food, good food, or you're, you know, I think, and the first thing for me is to detach food choices from the child being good or bad. Um, you know, like you can make a bad choice. It does not make you intrinsically a bad person. Um, and you can, you can make a boo-boo and eat something that made your tummy feel a bit sick, but that's okay. You know, now, and, you know, and to be light in the discussions around it instead of heavy or shaming, because that's where the real damage can be, I think. And so, um, I, I know with my son when he was about four or five and they're very literal learners at that age. And he would say things when people offered him food, I started to hear him say, I can't have that. And I was like, sweetheart, you can have anything you want. Mummy's just taught you what that's, what's in that, where it comes from, um, the type of person that makes it and, uh, and some of the numbers and what they mean up after that, it's your choice. Mummy's not going to love you any more or any less based on what you choose, I just need to give you the tools to make the best choices you can make for you. And if you want to try it and see how your tummy feels, that's fine. And so I really was a stickler for him not having I can, I can't messages around food. Uh, and um, in speaking to a couple of psychologists like Dr. Ryan, who was the psychologist in Thrive, um, thank God that was confirmed as a good thing to do <laughs> because I was like, is this the right? Because half the time parents are wandering around going, I don't even know if I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> um, you know, so, but I think that's one of my favorite tips to just make sure that it, they're not thinking that you are allowing or not allowing certain foods. It's more about food education and then they're clever and they can make their choices around foods and we can teach them what the best foods to help them um, do best for their health and, and mind and for the goals they have. Like I always like to help the younger set um, think, you know, do you want to be able to climb the monkey bars one day? Well, all those good green veggies and, um, you know, those are really going to help you with that. Or do you want to ace that test? Let's, you know, eat our omegas and, and nuts, seeds, um, fish eggs, eggs and things like that. So, you know, to really kind of help align foods with their goals and feeling great, but to also make them know that they're not a bad person if they choose to, to be a, um, a little piggy on the party table and have a whole bunch of red snakes. Because you've given them the food knowledge, often they'll have a little voice in the back of their mind once their tummy starts to feel weird. 
oh, maybe this is what mum was talking about. Instead of, you know, oh, mum doesn't let me have anything. That we definitely don't want them to grow up thinking. How do you feel about that and how did you navigate it in the early years before you can show them a ton of scientific documentaries and stuff that you can do when they're older? Yeah, you've got to be so careful because the language we use around food as young as you know, five and under, they're absorbing that language. And, and we no parent actually intentionally sets out to put their kid on a diet or talk about diet or food in, in a negative way. But, you know, we hear parents sort of saying cheat day or uh, you're greeting, oh, you look great, you look like you've lost weight. And you imagine a five absorbing all of that information but they don't have the cognitive development to know what to do with it it can be really really damaging we've got to be so so careful so beyond not labeling the kid good or bad which of course they're not um it's not labeling the food either i don't and it's been a process uh for me to get to this point alex but and i'm still on this journey because it's embedded habits that I'm trying to break here but I've got awareness around it and I support a lot of mums in this way too but it's not even healthy food it's not even treats it's not not even referring to food in any way with any sort of labeling bad food good food mm. not only the not labeling the child but not labeling the food I think takes it that one step further and helps to you won't even have to worry about not labelling the child because if the food's not labelled, then there's nothing to label. So totally, yeah. Yeah, food is just food. So that's incredibly powerful. But as bloggers, Alex, you and I, we, we in order to get engagement and all sorts of stuff, we have to use these hashtags, healthy, healthy food. Like we use them. I do find it confronting, but it serves a different purpose. But in my everyday life, I do try and remove that sort of title from from what what I'm talking about in, in, in front of my kids and how I talk on social, but it isn't always that easy. But beyond that, you don't even have to, the most powerful way to teach kids how to eat this nutritious food that's going to support them is not even through what we say to them. It's through what we model. It's through them witnessing us eating a wide variety of colourful food, eating, shopping at the farmer's markets, talking to the farmers, understanding about food through watching what we do. And the most powerful way that we can do that is through family mealtime. And so... Because a lot of parents go, well, you know, how do I walk this fine line? I want them, I want them to learn. I want them to know. And certainly, yeah, there's a lot of value in things like turning the label around, showing them how to read a label, learning about foods. But just sitting down as a family, in a at a regular place at a regular time, at least three times a week if you manage it, and if you can't even, you know, do one, just start with one. Um, with one parent and it can be just over cheese toasties it doesn't have to be over this elaborate meal then you know you are this is family meals are in the uh just like they not only teach kids about food and eating healthy and it automatically it combats fussy eating but it teaches kids also to be resilient and well adjusted and creates memory and creates joy and does so much more um than just 
as it does relate to food. It's so true, isn't it? And I had Mike Viking on the show a couple of months ago and uh, and he is the director of the Happiness Research Institute in Copenhagen and he uh, was going through the World Happiness Report stats and family meals are one of the top five predictors for children growing up to be resilient, well-adjusted, values-based kids in their teens and into adulthood. So if there's one thing we could all be focused on, um, you know, and this is why I always say in my talks, you know, it's beyond the food on the plate is the connection connection with the people you love and respect regularly uh, and sharing a meal together. I mean, think about that European way of living and they place such importance on that in, in countries like Italy and Greece that, you know, a meal lasts two and a half hours. That's totally normal for everyone to be sitting around chatting. The kids then start a little game, you know, all this. It's it's not just about the food. And I think that can help a lot of people who don't have the actual food as great as they feel they would like it one day. It can help us all relax and go, oh, it's not even necessarily about the food itself. It's the getting together and connecting on a regular basis with our family and our slightly wider friendship circle and sharing meals together and creating that sense of really strong attached community around a table that is one of the greatest predictors of happiness in the world, like top five peeps. So it's a wonderful one. Oh, it's a wonder. And given that we're talking about, you know, what we do in our work, absolutely key in combating fussy eating Mm. as at the same time building resilience, helping kids to be well-adjusted. And kids will always, they'll always do more and dare more when they have emotional support from people that they love. And that's exactly what you're providing when you sit down and eat with them at mm. the table. And then they, they we all know kids imitate their peers, people that they respect. So if you're sitting there with your good manners, eating a wide variety of food, um, reacting really positively to your experience of eating that food, chances are that eventually, and we all have to remember we have to be patient with this stuff, that's what they're going to grow up doing too. Mm. And and, that, sorry, go for it. <laughs> no, and not to mention that sense of belonging and um, that mutual trust that's fostered when adults and children eat together and uh, enjoy each other's company. My God, I'm so passionate about this and and this is like if you're going to do anything, if you take anything away from this podcast, just really start to have those family meals together and turning off all distractions. I was going to say, so talk me through um, some of the boundaries you've set over the years about what's allowed at the table and what's not allowed to be happening in the background. Yes, so absolutely. This doesn't really work if you're going to be completely distracted. Again, you put on your favourite music if that's what you like. It's turning off the iPads. It's no phones at the dinner table. The TV's turned off. Everybody join if we're all there together. And and because they're learning how to be polite. It's like behaving politely, ask, can you please pass the potatoes or whatever. So it's politeness is key. And there's no rules around having to eat all the food on the plate like mm. and as we do in thrive we go really deep into you know, the benefits of having uh, family style meals but we won't go into that right now because it's quite detailed but um and 
so I think that's it really. Oh, and we try not to talk about food in in terms of we just keep the conversation. In terms of health. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Mm. In terms of health, we keep the conversation light. So we're creating really positive associations mm. in time and food. We try and keep it light, keep it joyful, keep it fun. And that whole experience is going to have so it's so powerful when it comes to the kids' overall well-being and their and how they approach food in the future. Totally agree. And something that I was really um, focused on was being firm but super fair and loving about not having toys at the table for the really young toddler kind of set. It's like, oh, and you just gently grab it from their hand and say, no, toys aren't for the table, sweetheart. We'll play that afterwards. Let's have a yummy dinner. And um, and then the second one I wanted to add to um, all of those awesome examples you just gave was uh, if you're a gluten-free family or someone's gluten-free at the table or you're dining at a friend's house who has some sort of intolerance allergy or, or you're the ones with that as the invitee and you bring a plate of food to help to just to not feel so um, compelled to label dishes free from or healthy or naughty oh I shouldn't all that kind of language at the table has been a big no for me because I think a lot of that is where we can subtly build up hang-ups over time, either ourselves or our kids can. Yeah, it's yummy and delicious because it's yummy and delicious. End of story. We don't need to talk about how fantastic it is that it's gluten-free. And I think that can be a really big aha for some of the um, families dealing with intolerances and allergies because we, we're so excited when something is gluten-free. We can eat it like I was just at the morning tea um, at the time of recording this conversation at school for the, um, the morning tea for helpers who've helped out at the school at some point. Um, and I, I helped out at one of the cake stalls, which was a, an awakening in itself. <laughs> um, but uh, but um, so I was there at this morning tea and I was really excited that my son's teacher had baked this flourless chocolate cake, but I didn't. Um, you know, beyond just quickly asking whether it was gluten-free, I didn't then announce to everybody, oh, yeah, I can have this cake because it's gluten-free. I just started enjoying a piece of chocolate cake. And I think that's a really important skill to build when you're someone who has to eat slightly differently so it doesn't become a label that you then make your kids start labelling things free from or evil or good or, you know, some of the other stuff we were talking about earlier. Yeah, because at the end of the day, no matter what you're talking about, even if it's out of necessity, gluten-free, food intolerances, food um, allergies, the kids are incredibly vulnerable to the language we use when we're talking about food and it really does have a major impact. Um, so we want to avoid talking about it in terms of health, body size, appearance, um, allergies. It, it's, it's, you, we don't want them to have any hang-ups. Mm. And, um, yeah, so it is this area Alex I think it's really challenging to be honest it is because of the fine lines of it all yeah and it just takes awareness and not to be you know beat yourself up if you find yourself doing it because like I said there's deep habits that we've been doing for years mm. because our parents spoken that way or it's just become the norm but well, we were the Oprah generation where everyone was just on a new diet every couple of months some new guru new mm. protocol lose five pounds you lose 10 pounds all that kind of um language and uh and so we started obsessing over whether a food was going to be um good for us or bad for us in some way and you know 
before the Second World War, food was food. That was it. And uh, it was, you know, it was just literally you did not have to talk about it other than appreciating someone's good cooking. The rest was actually just talking about whatever um, was happening in your family or community that, that day or week. Also important to be aware about not speaking in that way, using that sort of language around other people's kids as well. Yeah, <laughs> yes, so uh, true. Yeah, and look, I've heard, I'll admit, I'm the first to admit I've learnt this the hard way, but I'm so grateful for the lesson that has emerged in, in more recent years because I have seen how my language has affected my kids and their reactions to food and the behaviour around food. So I think that I've managed to reverse that <laughs> and uh, everyone's a lot more calm and cool and collected around, you know, just whatever food is is happening. So, um, yeah, that's been my probably my biggest challenge and my biggest lesson. Oh, this yeah, yeah. Challenge. Yeah, it is. And I think it's um, – there's no exact art to it. It's more for me about a skill of awareness around when something's just not quite hitting the mark right and to remember that the most important thing is the connection in this piece and eating good fresh whole food most of the time and going with the flow some of the time. Something that really resonates with people is when I share that in the summertime if we're at a beach and one of the families that we're with recommends that we all just go and have fish and chips off from the little kiosk that day. I'm not then going to say, yeah, um, we really eat organic. So, you know, and because you sometimes just have to go with the flow and you have to recognize that if you're punching out like 19 out of the 21 meals that you have a week and they're wonderful, nourishing meals, you can kind of go with the flow sometimes. It's going to be okay. There are obviously going to be some uh, families with allergies and tolerances or behavioral problems where even the tiniest thing can set a child off, and that's, of course, a different kettle of fish. But for the average um, situation, you, you don't have to be obsessive, I think, is a really it's, – it's amazing when people then go, oh, wow, let's give ourselves permission for this to not look perfect 100% of the time. I mean, what is perfection anyway, right? Do you know, this is such an important point as well. I don't know if we're running out of time. but just We are, we are, but it's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll finish here. Go for it. Just this whole idea of taking a, um, a different view, looking at what your family's eating over a lifetime rather than looking at it from day to day can make such a big difference to how we approach it. Do you know, Alex, I'm going to end this by saying my kids are – an age where they're out buying their own food. They're making their own choices now and I have no control over that. And I can try and I can and I know in the past that I have totally been instrumental in the choices that they've made out there and that if they haven't made the choice that mum would approve of that they have experienced deep guilt, mm. which is exactly the opposite of what I want. And I realise that. And I, it has been a process of trying not to react when they tell me, and I'm so happy that they tell me, oh, you know, what did you do? What did you get up to? What did you have? Or I had this or that. And if I didn't agree with my standards, because I used to be pretty hardcore, mm. um, once I was aware that um, my language and my reaction was affecting them, I would still feel that, oh, that deep remorse inside, but I wouldn't show it. But I have now got to a point where, and I know you're going to think this is pretty funny, just the other day my daughter who was out with her friends for the first time, she just went with the flow 
they went to McDonald's. She told me she got nuggets and chips, and I honestly did not feel any problem with that. It's the first time I've ever heard it mm. and understood why because that was where they all were. If she were going to get something else, she was going to have to go to the uh, other end of the food court on her own. And I just went, you know what, in my heart I know that the food that you eat most of the time is super, super nourishing and this is just nothing mm. in comparison to that. And I am at a point where I can say I am totally cool with that, Alex. Yeah, amazing. And as something that really helped me shape my um, my uh, values around that exact thing was the beautiful way that the um, inimitable Jude Blaroe says, think about the bookends of your day as the most important ones to your child's health and well-being. And by that she means, you know, the breakfast and the dinner you share and not so much what happens in between because if you try and control everything, you'll end up stressed, they'll end up stressed, there'll be fights and it doesn't move you towards any kind of goal of perfect food all the time anyway. So what is the point in creating all of the bad blood? And it's such a true, true thing. And, uh, you know, we can only do our best to give them that foundation and then and then accept that they're not always going to make a choice that you would have perhaps made yourself, right? Absolutely. And how cool am I to say I love going out for fish and chips and gelatos and uh, cocktails, you know. I love all that stuff as well and I enjoy it guilt-free. So, you know, we're all just in the same boat pretty much. Yeah, we are. Thank you. Oh, gosh, this was such a great chat. I feel like we could talk for hours about this subject Um, and if anyone has any questions please pop them in the show notes comments because of course I'm always happy to invite guests back uh, and uh, and keep chatting about subjects that you're really passionate about or if you have a stack of questions we can tee up a part two in a few in a few weeks Uh, Brent thank you so much for joining me thank you for being a such an amazing collaborator in the work we get to do together but be just such an awesome person in this space for parents and for kids helping everybody to thrive as best they can i love the work you do and i love working with you alex thanks so much for sharing in this beautiful open honest conversation and having me on the show you're so welcome Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action. And there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, You're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Bye.